Welcome. We're so glad you're joining us for a word in season with Doug Stringer and friends. Today, we are sitting in on one of our transforming leadership calls. We host these type of calls often and would love for you to be involved. Sign up for more info by visiting a word in season podcast.org. While you're there, would you take our two minute survey? Now let's welcome our host, Doug Stringer. It's a pleasure to have Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin with us. It's a real pleasure personally for me because Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin and I have been friends for decades now. I think we first met through a national street ministers conference, I believe, maybe before that, and really resonated in my heart, the message it was on him. But he also had a heart for the lost, but he also had a heart for the hurting. And at the same time, he was non-negotiable with the things of God's presence, seeking after God, and also taking the things of God very serious. Glad to have my brother and friend Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin with us today. Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin is founder of the Potter's House Christian Fellowship. Today, the Potter's House is home to over 5,000 members after starting with only 40 members approximately in the first Sunday worship service. And over the years, Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin and the Potter's House International Ministries has been acknowledged and awarded by local, state, and federal agencies for its outstanding and consistent work in the area of jails and prisons nursing homes, hospital ministry, food and clothing efforts, and community transformation. That is right up our alley, and I just thank God for that. Bishop McLaughlin's numerous accomplishments encompass both the secular and the spiritual realms. In 2001, he was the recipient of the Entrepreneurial Excellence Award given by the Jim Moran's Business Institute in Florida State University. I remember that. More than once or twice, you've been acknowledged by the state and by a statewide Institutes. This prestigious award was given to acknowledge the innovative and creative model of economic empowerment that was known as the Potter's House Multiplex. One thing I do want to say at the Multiplex, for example, before they even took over this incredible mall, the Multiplex housed a multitude of church owned and operated businesses, including a cafe, hair salon, bookstore, credit union, recording studio, dance studio, game room, graphic design studio law offices, Greyhound bus terminal, travel agency, limo service, financial service, and a men's clothing store. I've been there. It was amazing back in the day, and I've had the privilege of going now to the mall that we'll talk about in a bit that the Lord used uh, Bishop McLaughlin and, and their church and ministries. Without any state funding, without federal funding, they did it as a church and took over a dilapidated area in a place that a mall was closing down and becoming like a ghost town, but he saw what God could do with it. And it's amazing how vibrant it is today. So Bishop, thank you for being with us today. And really so much that I've gleaned and learned from you over the years. You've stayed in your lane. You've never left that place that God's put in your heart, literally empower and reach and equip people to walk in their destiny. But you've done so in a way that brings them back to the word and focused on the Lord himself. So Bishop, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for having me and for everybody that's on and everybody that's listening. I'm honored and I'm humbled. Doug was one of the first people to acknowledge nationally some of the service things that we do. Uh, We're Matthew 25 ministry, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the jails, the prisons, the nursing homes, the hospitals, the disenfranchised, the outcasts. 
And Doug presented me with an award, a service award years ago that sits on my shelf in my office uh, right now, a foot washing trophy. If I can use that, it was an award and brought me to Houston, Texas and and did that and acknowledged me. And uh, we were good friends prior to that. And it was at a Scott Hinkle meeting with Nikki Cruz and Sonny Argonzoni and those guys. We've been together stuck like Chuck ever since. We're the same age. The only difference in me and him is that I've married a black woman. And uh, and I was trying to get him one at my church. <laughs> but uh, I'm honored to be a part of this uh, meeting today. And there's a bevy of things, a plethora of things that God has given me and has done and has found me faithful, putting me in this his ministry. And uh, I don't know how. I was 26 years old. I had never read a Bible. I had never been inside the doorways of a church. The first time I partook of the Lord's Supper, I was the pastor serving it. And the first funeral I ever attended, I preached it. And the first wedding I ever went to outside of my own, I've been married 43 years, I performed it. So God did a a work in me. And as Doug was saying, I've stayed on the wall because as a pioneer of of an unusual ministry, I didn't turn to the right hand or to the left. I just stayed steady. And when it got tough, I just pulled out the sickle and kept going. I didn't abandon what God had called me to do. And I wasn't open against anybody. I just stayed focused. And because I didn't have any religion or tradition, because there was nobody to tell me what I couldn't do, I just took this ministry. God gave me a vision at Oral Roberts University in the prayer tower of a four-legged stool, economic empowerment, social empowerment, educational empowerment, and spiritual empowerment. And those things are just the totality of total man ministry and meeting the felt needs of people while at the same time keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. You've mentioned something here, and I want to talk about that in a moment. In the midst of all these successes, there are certain non-negotiable fundamental things that keep us grounded in the direction that God wants us to go. So you've had great successes, and and yet you still walk with an incredible confidence, but yet in a authentic fear of the Lord and humility that I've observed over the years. When I was in Jacksonville with you a few times in the early days as well, I remember walking into hotels and the management would come up and they knew who you were and just the favor that was even bestowed on me because of relationship equity with you. What was your journey? How did you come to the revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection? And have there been areas where you met unexpected detours, but that groundedness in God's word and his presence brought you through to where you continued to help lead others as well to that place of their promised land and victories in their lives. But before we do that, I kind of teased everybody with your 402,000 square foot mall. <laughs> Tell us about how you went what, you went from the multiplex to yeah. this mall. I remember that transition. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. bowling alleys, everything in there. Man, we started in a trailer park in a uh, shotgun building. Just my wife and my two kids. I didn't have a place to meet. Didn't have $50 to rent a building to try to have a meeting. And I believe God had told me to start a ministry. I was pastoring interimly a Baptist church. They called me Von the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his pathway straight. We won the Florida General Baptist Convention. We grew a church from 35 people. The pastor was killed tragically in a truck crash. One of my best friends and they heard my voice and they asked me what I stepped in. I did. I took the church just intimately. Never put my name on anything because I knew that wasn't where I was supposed to be. 40 miles outside of Jacksonville in the country. I am not a country preacher. I'm a wilderness preacher, right? So 
uh, I stayed there. I resigned. I came back up and I tried to find a building. And by the way, that church grew from 35 to 700, 600, 700 in six months with no music. And we received an award as the fastest growing church at the Florida General Baptist Convention on a Tuesday, on a Sunday, I resigned. You ain't gonna hook me with that, ain't no way. I found a building, we we outgrew that, we grew exponentially over a thousand in the first year. And then we moved into a high school while we bought another property, an auto dealership. And while we were renovating that, we met in a 3,000 student high school and we grew. And then we moved into the building. Yeah, I've grown that already. We bought that multiplex. It was next door. And so we converted it. That's what received all the attention, Charisma, Ministries Today, CBN, TBN. So we did all of that. And it was, trust me, unprecedented. The building was 13 years vacant. And I purchased it, and this is not safe for some of you pastors out there with major boards. And I went down and put a contract on it and came back to the church. And I said, hey, y'all, we just bought a building right up the street right there. After Bible study tonight, we're going to walk around there and take a look at it. We purchased the building, and then uh, we moved into it. And we, as Doug said, we maximized it, every crooking cranny of it, 16 acres, 42,000 square foot building, put modules around it, put the blacktop basketball courts. It was great. And we grew again and we built a sprung building and we built a, one of the first sprung building in Jacksonville, a 2000 seater. And the first day we said, okay, we're going to, we, we're growing, we're going to have room. And then we moved to the sprung building. And on the first service, we had three services. People were standing outside the door. We couldn't get in. We thought we had alleviated our seating problem. Didn't happen. And then from there, there was an 18-year vacant mall scheduled for demolition. It was really dilapidated with the biggest crack house and whorehouse in town. There was nothing there. The ceilings were gone. Everything in it was ripped out. It was down to the walls. But it used to be the first fully enclosed mall in the state of Florida. I think it was along with the, with the mall in Broward County. It was number one in 1965 or 66. It used to be a drive-in. It used to be a big mall and 400,000 square feet foot. I offered them a million dollars for it because it was just junk, but it was 48 acres. The guy laughed at me. They were asking 17 million. The guy laughed. He's an Italian guy. No slant on Italians. I love everybody. You know, Canillas was my boy. I like, I preach about him all the time, <laughs> but I promise you, he said, hey, Tony, this man wants my building, Tony. Hey, offer me a million dollars, Tony. I like him, Tony. He got big. So I was like, okay, uh, uh, we negotiated. And then we came up with $4 million. He said, I'll sell it to you. He didn't know I had a credit line for about $10 million. I pulled my off. Honestly, you guys, you don't mind me saying this. I pulled the race car. I was like, man, we're just a bunch of poor inner city black folk just trying to do the best we can. His heart melted. He had a little tear out his eye. He said, well, give me $4 million in 30 days and it's yours. And we did. We did. We did. We did. So anyway, make a long story short. We bought this 400,000 square foot mall, went in it, did 96% of the work ourselves, put about $11.5 million in just the renovation, opened it up. And the first day we cut the ribbon and opened it up, first it was a sanctuary, the office of the administration. Then we opened up with a fitness center, with the indoor pool, with a world-renowned uh, restaurant that seats 300, with an event center, with a bowling alley, with offices, with stores, with shops, with retail, full retail, the whole shebang. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs>
All we were being was obedient to God and meeting felt needs in the community. We had incubators, we had stuff, trying to help our members who had dreams of having and owning and operating their own business to not have the fear of overhead. So we brought them in. Some had no overhead just to help them get started. They had to understand responsibility and paying bills. Some had low overhead. Some, the retailers that we brought in, they had the high <laughs> overhead and they carried everything. And so we just grew. It's well documented. You can read about it in different publications and stuff. And we just grew and we became the church that changed a city. And then we transformed that whole community. It was dilapidated. And now we are the epicenter for the entire West side uh, Normandy area of Jacksonville. And we're the second largest employer with over 230 full-time employees and many other part-time employees in that area. It's just total man ministry. It's just economic empowerment, social empowerment, feeding hungry with the number one food and clothing ministry in town. And then there's the educational, where we have a great high school, middle school, uh, elementary school. We have guys that have left our program playing in the NBA and uh, girls that have played in the ACC, SEC, and our national championship teams, football national champions. So we've done a lot of things there by the grace of Almighty God. Because really, and Doug knows this, all I've tried to do is walk upright before God, love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And we've been able to do a lot of racial reconciliation there because the community is 70, 30 white to black. And we're a predominantly black church there in that community. When we moved into that community, the community came by in big gold letters and wrote the big N word on the side of our building, go home. They did not want us in that community. But Isaiah said, when you repair the waste places and pass for people to dwell in, then shall they call you the ministers of our God. And what we went from y'all go home to we can't live if living is without you. We can't live. And so now we're enamored in that community, the sheriff, the governors, everybody that is somebody, the owner of the Jags, everybody. We have the number one soul food restaurant in the country, two locations, and they all do their deals there. Uh, Rick Scott, the governor, had his headquarters there when he was running for governor and in our facilities. So our facility is open to the public. It's not a church thing. This is a mall open to the public. And we just anchor it. We took the old Walmart building, 127,000 square foot building, and put our church facilities. But the rest of the facility is full retail. And God has graced us. And that's a little snapshot, a little picture of what we do. Well, Bishop, I want to give a visual here because you... I was thinking about when you first moved in there and began to put all these things. In fact, I worked out in that gym. I've eaten in the yeah, in yeah. So I had to test out the gym. It, it passes <laughs> four stars, a five star gym. So when you went in, one of the ways you got some of the different businesses and, and shoe companies and restaurants, you said if you'll come in here, I will help train up the best employees you'll ever have because yeah. you knew people they were accountable to the pastor, and you're going to make sure. They were the best employees those companies had. And so you were able to do economic development, but also job training and so on. And we still do that. But then I would say to them, to Winn-Dixie, to the different anchors and stuff that were there, I would say to them, 
you guys are going to need employees. Why not use our local church as an employment pool? Why not come down here as a labor pool and let us vet people for you and we'll be responsible for their behavior and for their actions uh, once they work for you. So if you ever have a problem with them, they fear God and they fear Vaughn. You know, so what happens is, is that we sent them so we will support them. And then you teach them customer service. We use the Disney model of customer service, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And so we'll take people who have never served anybody and people from the hood, 25% or so of my total staff are ex-felons and unhirable. And what we do is we take them and we bring them into a new culture. We love on them, we minister to them, and we give them opportunity. But we, we also let them know that we do this because of our love for God and our love for man. And so they feel accepted and they feel uh, affirmed. And so they come in and those are our best workers. And those are the people, man, that are the longest term employees, because literally, honestly, with felonies, there's really nowhere to go. So if we can continue. Our restaurant is 20 years old now. These are perpetual businesses and stuff. You know, uh, Jesus trained his disciples for his absence. And I know that one day I won't be there. And it, it's not built on me anyhow. It is built on the principles of God's word and uh, synergetic effort of people who just want to glorify God. Like you said, no federal, no state, no city, no local grants, no philanthropic gifts. I never had anybody give, I don't know, 10000 to 15000 I mean, we just pool our resources. We call the design on a dime, <laughs> tithe and offers. Man, we just came in and now when there were special needs, we might say, hey guys, we are, you know, plus short of, of this right here. Anybody want to contribute to it? And supernaturally it's like needs have been met and God has always done some supernatural stuff. Quick testimony for somebody who may think you don't have enough and you don't, you don't have enough favor from people, you don't. But you do have the favor of God, and God is all sufficient. We were a million and a half short from completing the renovation of the mall. And there was a section of it that had twin theaters in it and, and another section. And we were going to do that piece, the next phase. This is documented, true story. You can call anybody. It's there. A lady walks up, and she says, hi, I represent so-and-so properties, this and that. Now, I have to tell the story because she looked like a WWF diva, uh, but she was about six foot two. And one of my deacons, head deacon, when he saw her, he passed out. We had to resuscitate him because she walked by him and he was just like, oh, my God, who is that? My wife and I were in my office, in the back office. She walks in. She sits down in front of us. I represent so-and-so firm. We want to put a dental office and something here in your mall, but we would like for you to build it out. I said, well, we don't really, you know, we were doing all other build out. That's not where we were going. We were tired. So they said, well, we only need 40,000 square foot and it's 403,000 square foot total. I paid $4 million for it. So they had calculated that thing. She said, well, we need 4,000 and we'll build it out ourselves. So I said, well, how much will you offer me? We said, it's clear blue sky. We knew we were short. And so she said, $237,000. I went like, no, ma'am, two million or nothing. And she said, okay, two million. And we'll have a cashier check here in two weeks and we'll close this out because we're ready to move forward on it. Thank you so very much. The entire meeting took about two and a half minutes. I never got her name. 
We signed the paper. I looked at my wife. She looked at me. I said, now, here's what I want you to do. Explain to me what you felt just happened here. I need your perspective. And then I need you to pinch me to see if this is really, you know, a dream or this is real. And in, in two and a half minutes, we had $2 million cash. Cashier check came in, $2 million. We were able to, that five-star fitness center, completely furnish it, completely furnish the, the bowling alley, 22-lane bowling alley and game room that we had. We built the whole thing out, and we were able to furnish a $700,000 kitchen in, that, in the restaurant to be able to finish that out and own it all, paid cash for everything. Didn't know where it was coming from, had no idea, and this woman just walks up out of nowhere and says, I guess, you know, hereby we've entertained angels unawares and that I am here to minister to you and to bless you. And she did. I've never seen her again. Well, I didn't know that part of the story. I just seen yep. the fruit of it all and, and the blessing. Yep. In fact, I was in that pop-up church that you had, remember? But it's a permanent building. It's a sprung building. Rick Warren has made him famous. He, his whole campus are nothing but sprung buildings. And, um, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, you see many of them with the space uh, thing there. Ron Carpenter uh, and Greenville Church up there, they built one of the largest ones for the gymnasiums and stuff up there. And I was able to direct them. Uh, there are many in Charlotte and different areas. And they were used as venues at the Atlanta Olympics for the basketball venues because they are buildings that you can put up that can be temporary, like a metal building that you can take down. Instead of metal, it's aluminum and it's permanent though. And it's my high school gym right now. We've had some of the best high school basketball in there for the last 20 years. You just mentioned a while ago too, that you've had some people that you've raised up as spiritual sons and daughters, and some have gone into the NBA as well because of your basketball team. Yeah. The basketball program, Udoka Azabuki, we brought him in and adopted him when he was 12 years old from Nigeria. He came in as a scrawny little kid who didn't live anywhere near a basketball court, who had never played basketball. Mom's a minister and said, will you take my son? He wants to play basketball. He'll ride with a book bag and a Bible and the clothes on his back. I took him in, stayed with us a while, put him with one of our elders, one of my assistants there, grew up there. My son was his coach and he was the first pick of the Utah Jazz in this past NBA Olympic. Eric Cobb, we had several guys play for UConn, South Carolina, different places. I mean, we've had some uh, over 26 D1 guys, but also about 30 D1 girls that have come out of our uh, program. University of North Carolina, Tar Heels, Seton Hall, University of Florida, Florida. I mean, all over. They play, have a great reputation for sports, but also academics. My valedictorian from a few years ago left us and went Kinzel and went to uh, University of Notre Dame, finished in two years, summa cum laude. Wow. from University of Notre Dame, and then received an eight-year fellowship at Chicago University in anthropology. And he'll be the youngest uh, anthropologist in the U.S. in just another three years. He's traveled the world now, but he started with us at K-4, kindergarten four, all the way up through high school. And his mom is a dishwasher in our restaurant. So we've got a lot of stories like that. A lot of people that have done a lot of great things, inventions and stuff that have taken place that have just been right there at our school. And, and we have a great um, family there. COVID has, of course, affected us as it affected everybody. 
And we had a major impact back in 2008 when the economy tanked because it's a private school and in our hood, you got to be able to afford to go there. There's not a lot of scholarships and stuff you have to pay. We've adjusted, but we're still as strong as we've ever been. I had training all day yesterday with my staff. School opens up this week. There's a quote that Duncan Campbell from the Hebrides Revivals, and he was quoting actually Thomas Chalmers, who said that he defined revival as the impact of the personality of Christ on a community. If mm. that's the definition, that's literally what you all have done in your community that's now resonated in touching lives and telling the story because those who tell the story define the narrative and right. create the history. The story of the gospel, what God has done in your willingness and obedience and surrender and to walk in faith, to see what God has done, literally, that is the, the revival of the impact of the personality of Christ on the community and beyond. So that's an amazing story. And your passion has never waned. Your passion has never changed. You're serious about the things of God. I, I saw, I think it was Bishop Dale Bronner on a, a meme, and it said that there are some who I, I expected to be part of my story, but they just became a part of my chapter. And so there are those who, if they will walk and journey with you, they will advance and grow in the things of God and also in practical areas of personal growth. Uh, but many people quit before they get to that point. They get discouraged or they go through situations or they get disillusioned and they end up walking away rather than pushing through and finding that place of victory to create an environment for. What you do now is the result of the place of the, the foundations that you have laid and you have built upon and the Lord. Even through COVID, I've been personally blessed to turn on in the middle of the night, midnight, <laughs> your midnight uh, Zoom calls and midnight uh, cry, midnight cry, the, your uh, Facebook lives. And, and I've gleaned so much from that, just listening in. And, and I know many, many from all over the world have, but you were able to take a bad situation, turn it into an opportunity of ministry that people were able to grow even in the midst of most difficult of circumstances. Tell us a little bit about your own story. What brought you to the place of even wanting to surrender to Christ and to the place <laughs> where he invaded your world and changed the trajectory of your life? And secondly, have there been areas where you have met unexpected detours and you've had to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony? I think to begin with, the way that put the cart before the horse, detours, trouble. I was on the 700 Club and Ben Kinslow asked my wife and I, they said, we see all of the wonderful things, but what about the dark moments? Can you tell us about the trials and your issues and the things that people need to know that come? And my wife, before I could even get out of my mouth, she basically said, well, what are those? In, in the sense that there are things, because we're going in God's direction, that are supposed to come to hinder us. We have effectual doors open unto us. We have opportunities to do great things and we have mushrooming opposition. You have people that come together that don't like each other, that try to stop you. There are always going to be doors and that you may have to ask God to open. There are always gonna be pauses. There are always gonna be things that come. I have purchased so much land that I never built on. I have so many blueprints that I have uh, designed that I never built. And, and those things, it's almost like Abraham, uh, you know, God just said, I, I didn't want you to do it. I just wanted to see if you would, you know, don't kill the boy. If you kill the boy, you, you and Doug ain't gonna have nobody to believe in, <laughs> you know? And so those things. So I get back 
and go back the other way. Here's my wife describes me as a no good, good for nothing, low down scum of the earth, backbiting, whole mongering sinner on my way to hell. That's my testimony, and I'm sticking with it. If you don't believe it, I'm gonna say it again. I was a no good, good for nothing, low down scum of the earth, backbiting, whole mongering sinner on my way to hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, I had never heard a sermon. I had never been through the doorways of a church, but once in my life. And the one time I went, I smoked weed in the bathroom, sat on the front row and dared the preacher to say something to me. That's my whole religious experience. I was sitting at home with a glass of Jack Daniels in one hand, weed in the other, and Prince singing tonight, I'm going to party like it's 1999. And I looked up to heaven and I said, God, if you're real, now here's key, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. My best friend in college had become a Christian and came to Jacksonville to play with the USFL, Jacksonville Sharks. I read in the paper that he was coming to town, so I rolled a joint, got my tequila, went out, had my Trans Am. And when he came out of the stadium, the Gator Bowl at the time, he had his playbook. And on top of his playbook, he had a Bible. I was lit and, you know, I was ready. Squidley! And he looked at me and he says, I'm serving a new Lord now. Only Lord I knew was Lord Calvert. And I drank plenty of that. You know, I'm like, what is he talking about? I didn't know the terminology. I didn't know what he was talking about. And then he started quoting some type of Chinese proverb about something about what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? And what will a man give it a shit? I'm like, where is he getting this from? I didn't know what, but I was, I knew I, I knew this much. I wasn't high no more. He had blown it. And so we went on and on and he shared with me that Jesus died. That didn't make sense to me. My wife's best friend in college, we were all there together at Tennessee, gets saved, calls my wife on the phone. My wife is a heathen, just like me, doesn't want to hear it. She lays the phone down, and I'm listening on the other end because I thought it was disrespectful that she hung up on her friend or laid the phone down. And the friend was like, Jackson, my wife's maiden name, Jackson. Jackson, Jesus is real, Jackson. He saved me, Jackson. He filled me with the Holy Ghost, Jackson. Hey, hey, Jackson. Then she started rambling and speaking in gibberish. And I was like, she done lost her mind. So anyway, that's another water and stuff, this and that. So here now, our two best friends have come to Christ. And so that thing got in my spirit. And I got to contemplate it. I had a six-figure job. I was playing basketball. I played basketball in college. You know, I'm like, I'm enjoying my life. And I went home and two weeks later, we brought 12 people down from Memphis to my house for a one week party. This is like the kings of old. I mean, we had a week long party. I'm talking about 24 seven. I'm not talking about y'all come back now. They stayed in my home and I had a huge house and we partied 24 seven. On the seventh day, they got up before they left and they were leaving that evening and they said they were going to worship. And I was like, wait a minute, y'all party with me all week. And see, this is why I don't do the Christian thing. This is why I go, because y'all were partying with me, but I did realize, I didn't recognize that a few of them did not party like the others. A few of them did not partake of the liquor and the drugs. A few of them did not. And they were the ones that were going to worship. They just wanted to, they were just our friends. And man, they went and when they came back, they had such a peace. At such a calm. And here's what happened. We're getting ready to leave now. Vaughn, would you pray for us for safety on the road? It's like somebody took a hot dagger and stabbed me in my chest. I panicked, ran into the house, got in the closet, took covers and put it over my head and stayed there for a couple of hours until they left. They couldn't even find me. I was hiding. Fear gripped my heart. 
when they pulled off and left and my wife came in and said, what happened to you with this and that? I was like, they asked me to pray. The next morning, it's on a Monday morning, I'm sitting there getting ready to do what I do. And I said, God, why couldn't I pray? I said, God, I acknowledge that God exists. And them that come to God got to first acknowledge that he exists. Never had done that before. And I had this conversation with him like I'm talking to you guys right now. And I said, God, Alvin said, what is it profit of me? God, Cheryl said that if I call on the name of the Lord, I don't know what they're talking about. You got to help me. And then I cried, I don't know, seven hours, eight hours. I never moved from the chair I was in. And then I wound up on my knees and I had a house that had a high ceiling and the light was shining in. And I looked up like I won't be deep, but like a light shone from heaven brighter than the sun. Knocked me off of myself and I called on the name of the Lord. And literally, here's what I tell people all the time, Doug, and you know me for a long time, and I've admired everything that you've done. And these guys that are watching, surely they're involved in the same type of ministry and the love for God and people. But I say the difference in me and most spiritual leaders and pastors is I got saved. God saved me. I knew what life was like before Christ. I have now met Christ, and now my life is different after this. I have a testimony. Immediately, everything changed. Immediately, I was a new creature. I called on the Lord. I repented. I cried out to God. Immediately, I couldn't. I took off of work for three weeks. I couldn't even go to work. I couldn't go outside. I felt like a baby, like I'm incapable of living in this life. My wife called her mother and said, he's lost his mind. He's in there talking to somebody. I don't know who he's talking to. She was a goody two-shoes little church girl, but she never, with five and a half years, we had never set foot in a worship service, never read a Bible, never prayed. And I was serious, man. Flushed all of my liquor, flushed my weed. <laughs> Throughout all, I mean, man, it was a purging that was taking place in my life. And from that point forward, three months later, I resigned from a six-figure job, and I have been in ministry ever since. Six months after that, I was publicly preaching all over the city of Jacksonville, in the parks, the streets, churches. That's how I wound up serving the supper, because I had never partaken of the supper, because I'd only been uh, baptized and a member of a church for about a month. But then I was like a prodigy preacher, so a guy heard me give us a speech for some kids, and he asked me to come and preach for him. And I came on a Sunday morning, and they were partaking of the supper. I had never seen it. And they had this sheet over this those utensils, right? And I asked the guy, what is that? He said, it's the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I saw the head, and I saw the, you know, <laughs> I'm like, it's a body. I literally, no exaggeration, had no idea what it was. <laughs> and so uh, he, he, I said, you got to give me some leadership here. I'm going to follow your lead. I even went to the bathroom and tried to stay until it was over. <laughs> and I came back out and they were doing that. I said, well, I'm new. I'll just follow you. And so um, that's been my whirlwind. Now, it hadn't been so exponential because I'm not a, a shooting star. I'm a rising sun. And so God began to work gradually in my life. I gave myself wholly over to the prayer, to prayer and the study of the word. I had a great wife who had a great job, who, who was called two weeks after I got saved, she got saved. 
And we have been together in ministry ever since 43 years. I've never lifted my voice, never said anything uh, to her that would be detrimental or hurt her. Never, never wanted to ever see her cry. We were called together. We had a divine visitation of the Holy Spirit in our home, sealed us into the day of redemption. We heard the voice of God. Uh, we were both filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have been one heck of a team ever since. She administrates everything that you've heard me talk about today. She is the chief of administrative officer, the human resource department, my best friend, my right hand. My daughter is my chief operating officer of the entire ministry. My son works with our, he's the head coach of our basketball program for years just to see him. Those are my two children and we're all in ministry together and never would have thought it, never would have conceived, never could conceive or nothing like this. And I'm happier than a pig in slop right now because of the, the blessings of God. And Doug, get back to that. Why haven't I allowed these things and so on? I got saved. Amen. And the kind of faith that God is looking for, and I'm speaking this to everybody out there, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? Persistent, enduring faith. The kind of faith that, like Paul said, I'll let none of these things move me. Like Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Faith that says I'm able to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Faith that is not a sometime feel good type of something. I got faith as long as things are going well, but I'm talking about faith in the dark hours, faith in the trouble, the valley of the shadow of death, faith when it's dark, when it's dreary. And that's what I've tried to demonstrate, Doug, during the pandemic, because there was a lot of fear and a lot of people who were falling away. And what I did was ran to the wilderness and I just reached reach back and just said, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's good news in the middle of this. I don't care what it might look like. God has made provisions. God the Father made provision through his son, Jesus Christ, that we all can be saved and that we all can have a dynamic life in the spirit with him because the breach has been repaired. He's our penal substitutionary sacrifice, the expiation for our sins, the propitiation for our sins. And now we can freely come to him. He has reconciled us. And so why fret? Why worry? The battle's been fought. The victory has been won. Come on in and let's experience the joy of the Lord. And that's what I teach and preach, and I'm going to do it until I die, whether it's Ray Ray and Pookie or whether it's Jody or Jodo, Jojo, whatever it is, whoever you are, I just want you to know that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. I heard that from Jan, I think a little while earlier, and I'm just believing God that God is going to continue to raise up pastors like myself, like Doug, who remember the scripture says, those things that you have both heard and seen, learned from me, do and the God of peace will be with you. So there's some models in the earth. Jesus, our ultimate model, but there's some earthly models of consistent, persistent faith. And I'm hoping to God that I'm one of those and, um, and many others that God would raise up to be light in this dark world. When I think of people like yourself and Suliasi Carollo in Fiji and um, so many others who I've watched, you have a, an ability or even a, Dr. A.R. Bernard, Bishop Dale Bernard, I've watched over the years, knowing many of you, that you take complicated principles of scripture and uh, it can become heady with people who just want to get around the headiness of talking terms, but you've taken the complicated things that could be heady and made them palatable in the simple gospel 
for the average person, but it's theological. And, yeah. and I just thank God for that, for the ability that you have and the influence you've had in many of our lives. And, and thank you again for just sharing your life and your heart with us today. I was really blessed when I was rewriting my book, Somebody Cares, and the publisher said it's been going around and around. We need to update it and add some chapters. And, and uh, it came out as Mending the Net, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And little did we realize that when they asked me to do that, it was before the pandemic and came out during the pandemic just a few weeks ago. And I asked Bishop McLaughlin if he would write an endorsement for it. And I was just taken back and blown away by your graciousness and and it really um, just the value and the encouragement that so many of us have received from friends like you. It's, it means a lot. Thank you, Bishop. Hey, Doug. Um... You know, sometimes these things turn into a, I love you, you love me. And it's almost like, oh, man, we need each other. And oh, my God, and people look at this level. But what it is, though, what I've seen in you, why I was so glad to endorse the book is because I've seen the consistency and I've seen your dedication to serve people. And I, and I you know, just to serve God and man. And I think that's key to anybody's success. Christ humbled himself and uh, served. And the greatest among us is the servant of us all. When you don't take yourself seriously, when you humble yourself and condescend to men of lower state and esteem others better than yourself, uh, what we fail is we, we have a tendency to not have the ability to applaud the efforts and the works of others, to esteem others highly in love for their work's sake. And so we walk around as if this thing came from us. And we walk around as if we've been the ones that have created uh, these things. But it is God who's at work in us to do of his goodwill and pleasure. And it's not what we do for Christ that will last. It's what Christ does through us. And when we become open, willing vessels, because I shared with a group the other day and it blew their minds and we wept and stuff when it was all over. And I said to a particular lady that says, now she's ready to go into the mission field. I said, let me help you. I haven't found anyone in the text, and this is my guideline, that have ever been equipped and said to God, they're ready. I said, if you read it, he caught them all by surprise. They stuttered. They were sycamore tree trimmers. They were too young. They had all kinds of issues, and God surprised them. And some of these people that go to Bible school and seminary and, and think that getting an education is what God does to use them, to vault them into ministry. No, 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 no. You'll never be qualified. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He takes that which is naught to bring to naught that which is. And what I have discovered over the years is that God always uses the unqualified. Remember, everybody always says he, he doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies them that he calls. And then we get to the place to where we realize that we can't, but he can. That's when we yield ourselves. Out of all the things that you mentioned that we've done, I share to our, with our congregation two things. If this is all God can do, I'll quit today. Because as, as good as it looks on paper and in person, as good as it looks, we haven't scratched the surface, right? And then what we need to understand is, secondly, I say to them, and I have no personal aspirations. I have nothing that I desire to do before the Lord returns. I have no plans or nothing. And we've got properties and things that we'll eventually build on and do some stuff in time whenever God gets ready to do it. But I don't disappoint. 
And I don't let God down because I don't hold God up. So it is God who is in control. So I'm going to live, yield myself to him, yield myself to others, make myself available. And if he wants to do something through me, then I'm going to allow him to do it. But I'm not going to manufacture anything and try to do something for him and then feel like a failure when it doesn't come to pass. And that one comment changed the whole atmosphere in that room where people who had all these personal aspirations and were frustrated in ministry because they couldn't seem to get their dream and their vision off the ground rather than selling out to God and saying, Lord, if you did whatever, what will thou have me to do? And I think that's key to success. Amen. And, and I think it's a great perspective that all the Bible college and seminaries and all these things are not the thing that catapults us. It's our willingness to yield to God because you're a well-educated man. You've studied to show yourself approved and that's obvious. And you provoked me to actually uh, to work on another PhD there, which I did. Right. Uh, but that being said, it's not the paper on the wall. It's do we know the God that we're studying about and to know right. him, to make him known. And so I just want, if there's any final thoughts that you have that you could share with us and also say it again for the, those who are listening on the podcast and, and YouTube, uh, we, we posted here on the chat for those that want to know uh, about the site. Uh, yeah, you can go to tphim.org. That's our church website, the Potter's House International Ministry.org. Kingdomplazas.com is the updated version. It's, it's the translated post-COVID, mid-COVID, pre-COVID version. It's not the full version of the Kingdom Plaza as we knew it, as we talked about it today. Okay. I do have a video link that is like an 11-minute video that kind of shows how we started, what we did, that I can send to you that you can put up, that they can look and they can actually watch. It's called Breaking the Mold. And what it is, is it's, it's a presentation of what they can visually see uh, the mall and these things that we talked about. And I usually that's usually the best thing to let folks see it. Because when I go places and preach, people get bored and they start yawning because, number one, it sounds like you're bragging. And I hate that. And then number two, uh, they've never seen it before, so they can't wrap their minds around it. Because all we did was talk about it, thinking maybe some little strip mall or just some little something that, you know, marble. These are marble floors. These are top of the line the equipment. This is all this kind of stuff. It's second to, you know, but some people did, oh, yeah, but that's just stuff and things, you know. And so That hurts sometimes, man, when, you know, you do that. But so what I do is I just put a link out here, but it's tphim.org. And you can click on these other things. I think Kingdom uh, Plaza is in there as well. But uh, the Kingdom Plaza Mall, I have new management there. We're doing a million seven renovation right now, not costing us a dime. It's so wonderful. I just love it. And so we're about to build a new campus, um, assistant living and senior affordable housing. Um, we're partnering with the city to put a fire station onto our property, which could serve the school and the senior affordable housing because you got to see, the, you know, the, the first responders right there. So it's just all a combination of, of stuff. And one one thing always leads to another. And I do still work with the NFL doing chapel for the teams and stuff. I'm a, I'm a diehard Jaguar with my cup. I was going to hold it up and just show y'all this year, all y'all wannabes out there. We're going from also ran to number one, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it's, uh, 
it's it's just great. To, it's a great time to live and to be alive. Our Facebook is out there, our church Facebook site, my personal Facebook site. And anything you want to know about us is online. So all you got to do is Google. Um, I'm one of those people that if you Google, it ain't no nothing coming up that ain't that I'm ashamed of. So, you know, it's just like 33 years too, Doug. This is great in ministry and marriage scandal free and ministry scandal free. Imagine 33 years of scandal free ministry with all of these things that are going on, all of these moving parts. And God has graced us to cover us and to keep us out of any type of public scandal or any in-house splits. I never had a church split. I never had an argument with a member. I never had anybody jump up and say, I'm mad at you. What are you preaching? I've just stayed steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I believe that God has a reward for me and every one of you that will persist until the end. So I'm done with all of my jargon. Y'all host with the most is here right now to close us out. Close on praying for all of us. There are uh, people that watch this that are on now, some that will be watching later and on the podcast that are actually uh, marketplace leaders, CEOs, pastors, uh, movement leaders. So uh, just pray for all of us because right now more than ever, we need persevering and courageous and godly leadership. And I think all of us need to put our um, social, economic, educational, and spiritual hats on and make ourselves available to God. And for those who don't have the resources and those who are wondering, how do you do it? Don't fret yourself. God is available. His his riches at Christ's expense is available to us. He supplies. Uh, We show up with, uh, with faith to fight. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And so he's called us to show up to the battle and he will fight that battle for you. Father, I thank you now for this opportunity to share with these people and people who will hear this message in the future. Thank you for digital technology. Thank you that we can reserve and these messages can become perpetual and they can touch the heart of someone who needs it, who needs direction, who needs to revisit a sense of purpose and destiny. And Father God, I'm praying for the Cyruses of this world those who might be uh, not even in the kingdom who feel an inkling and an urge to do something good, to be philanthropic and to be a humanitarian and that you would connect them with those agencies of faith that could use a, a fiscal infusion so that they can further the cause of Christ. God, I'm praying for benevolent benefactors for the kingdom, for the people that are here, mm. that every need be met, that Doug Stringer, mm. God, as you have healed his body and given him a suitable helper, and a fit helper for him and his ministry, Lord God, that you will continue to expand it and grow it, that, con- that he'll continue to transform leaders and lives. And Father God, I'm just praying that this post-COVID world, God, it looks like, uh, God, it's going to be a minute, but God, I'm praying that when it's all said and done, that your people would learn the lesson and that the remnant that comes out, the remnant that comes out with faith, that they'll realize they have a responsibility, that we got to share with the rest of the world how our God kept us and how our God brought us out and how our God is willing to save any and everybody who will call upon him. 
So, Father God, I love you, I honor you, and I appreciate you for every ministry represented on this call that you would increase, enhance, and give enlightenment to them as to what it is that you would have them to do. I pray that my testimony uh, has been for your glory, and I thank you that my met became my testimony, my message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Head over now to a wordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.